Welcome to a very different episode of True Diligence. Lindsay Shively here alone with producer Sam in the 41 Action News podcast studio. Good morning, y'all. Because we are practicing social distancing at 41 Action News, and that means Jill Silva is coming to us over the phone. Hi, Jill. Hey, Lindsay. Under the blanket. Hope this reception's good. Absolutely. And we wanted to, we had an episode ready to go. We had a really wonderful uh, conversation with Leslie and Nick Gellner from the Antler Room. Uh, But since, when was, when did you guys come into the podcast studio? Has it been about a week? A little more than that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right around a week, I believe. Life has dramatically changed uh, with concerns over COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, so much so that in our area, uh, a mandate that restaurants and bars do not allow customers to dine in, carry out and delivery, the only options to try to curb the spread of the virus that is spreading around the world and is definitely impacting the restaurant industry. So we wanted to touch base because we talk about restaurant owners and chefs so often. Uh, guys, just catch us up on what's going on with you right now with the Antler Room. So um, we uh, learned about the... Um Kansas City mandate on Sunday. That's the last day of our regular service of the week. So our dark days are usually Monday and Tuesday. Um, so for us, today, Wednesday, will be the first day that we've had to close or change our business model. So, um, you know, we haven't really actually seen what it's going to look like because uh, we haven't gone in there when we were supposed to be open and tried to do something else. Um, so, it's uh, definitely, as I think everybody knows, in and out of the restaurant industry, this is a um, this is going to cause the closure of thousands and thousands of restaurants across the United States mm. because it's a business model that relies on very very thin profit margins. Um, unless there's a, a major bailout, federal, state, city, uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of closures for us. Uh, we're going to try to roll out a different menu of uh, carryout and delivery food. Um, it's going to be based off of um, our uh, pop-ups that we do that have been uh, pretty popular. Um, so it's basically Japanese sandwiches. There's fried pork. Um, there's steak. There's egg salad. It's all um, with bread that we make in-house. We're going to deliver that curbside, and then we also um, are going to be uh, selling uh, whole bottles of wine uh, to go. And uh, Tasha's making pints of ice cream and her um, amazing, her one-pound chunk cookies. Yeah. Um, she's going to be making those. And I I don't know. So today starts our um, Leslie's Bottle Shop uh, for wine. So I have some really fun flights and different things. But we're really just trying to make it work for now. Um we're turning our staff into order takers over the phone and uh, curbside people. They've also volunteered to be delivery drivers. We're going to have probably just within a five-mile radius of the restaurant, but um, trying to get them paid somehow for as long as we can. Um, it's just it's so, so much uncertainty, and it's made a lot of people – us included, very uncomfortable, but we're trying to make something work um, for as long as we can. We have heard so much about how small businesses like restaurants are going to be struggling, like you guys just talked about. But, you know, 
how are you guys doing really? How is your staff doing really? So um, I will say that the idea that a restaurant that um, is kind of a, a sit-down experience can shift to uh, curbside takeout delivery and still uh, make their margins is is just not going to happen. Mm. So um, the fact of the matter is that it's, it's really in a way um, uh, just a crutch to get us through hopefully what is only a, a two-week shutdown. But, you know, I mean, keeping um, – Keeping our ourselves sane during this two weeks uh, involves us keeping busy. So in a way, I think that trying to um, make it with a different concept is also for our own mental health. So as opposed to doing this just for the, the monetary purposes, it's also important that we, um, you know, keep on focusing on something at the business. Um, it, it's... Uh, it's a weird thing when you've worked at something for several years and then, you know, uh, not by any lack of trying, there's been something happen in the world that's completely uh, put everything at risk. So it's new for us. So, of course, it's very stressful. Um, but one of the ways that we're going to try to deal with it is just uh, um, pushing forward with something new. Oh, I, I've only cried once so far. Mm. <laughs> um, it, it's a, it, I don't, the, the unknown is really where we're kind of trying to charter a path and we were on a really good, we had a good rhythm. We actually had a, our January and February stayed really consistent and then this happened. So I, it's kind of, I don't know, really pulled the rug right out from under us, and we're trying to to do something in the the unknown. When you guys just said... Um, Leslie and Nick, this is Jill, and I'm wondering, do you see... I, I, I see lots of creative stuff that chefs are doing out there, and, you know, people are changing their business models. It's amazing. Do you see, though, any political or activist sort of gathering so that, you know, somebody's representing the interests of the hospitality industry and getting some legislation for some kind of a bailout or microloans or, you know, whatever it is that's going to keep you guys healthy in the future? Well, um, there's a, a few things that uh, have happened. Um, being a small business owner in the United States, uh, as I think everybody knows, is incredibly difficult because we don't have lobbying groups that help us. Uh, the Two days ago, I believe, uh, there was a meeting at the White House with the heads of several hospitality companies, but they were companies like Yum! Brands who own thousands of franchise restaurants. Restaurants like ours don't have the same sort of representation. Um also, there's the new bill that the House is putting forward. Um, I talked to someone from Senator Hawley's um, office, um, and uh, he was not very helpful because they don't even know the language of the bill. Um, they are basically saying that it's going to help any business that's hurt by this, but 
I think to qualify, you have to have been shut down by the the federal government. Um, that might not be true, but again, I um, the person that I spoke to couldn't give me a straight answer. So, if that is true, then it's on the city has the responsibility to help us because it's the city that shuttered us, not the federal government. The CDC said that gatherings um, of 50 people should be stopped for eight weeks. It was Kansas City, Missouri that said restaurants and bars should be closed for 15 days. So if there's some sort of a a financial reimbursement that needs to happen, um, I think it needs to start at the city level and then move out towards state and uh, and federal government because it was the city that technically um, shut us. Should they have shut us? Of course. I understand why they did it. Um, uh, people's health is more important than um, than the economy. But, um, you know, eventually the economy um, wearing down is going to affect people's health and it's going to become a reverb cycle. So, uh, you know, if I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, this is going to last for far longer than two weeks. And if it does, then there's going to be a lot of decisions that are going to be uh, that are going to need to be made. Um, there's a, I know a few people dealing with this out of state, and I know the state of California has been extremely aggressive about help, helping small businesses. I've seen nothing Chicago. like that. Yeah. Well, um, Anna Petro actually reached out to me this morning um, because of the response that Chicago has had, and um, she's going to try to get um, Danielle Lehman, the one that has been doing the curbside, Casey. Um, she, the two of them are going to try to start something, and I told them whatever um, we can do because now I actually have some extra time to uh, to be able to do that, and I I, I want to be a part of that process to to lobby to get something to happen because we, as a city and a state, are going to need it really badly, especially if this goes on. We can weather two weeks. We can't weather six or eight. And we know from Governor Carson yesterday that he expects uh, the effects of the virus at least to be around for several months. The president has said into the summer. uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas did say he was working on some kind of local relief for the local economy and how it's impacted by this. Uh, When you talked about earlier dine-in restaurants relying on a carry-up model just not working. What do you want to say to people listening? Do you want them, I mean, obviously you want them to come eat, but is it a question of if people can really uh, commit to ordering takeout as often as they can, is that going to make a dent? Well, um, you know, of course uh, it's going to help. Every every purchase that anybody makes at any local restaurant is going to help that restaurant. Um, so, Absolutely. We're all for the idea. That's uh, why we're doing it, why we're participating in curbside and, and not just for lowing our employees and, and shutting the business temporarily. Um, so, yeah, of course it helps. It's just not something that can sustain a restaurant in the long term. And and I think that it's uh, really, really important to support local restaurants any way that you can. And in these times, that means um, ordering uh, to go food at the same rate you would have gone out to eat if this wasn't happening. Um, or gift certificates. Yeah, we talked about planning future events and things like that. And I, I, and I don't know. I, I, 
it really, um, it, it would come down to, I think the only way that this business model could be sustainable is if we had a much smaller staff. Like I was talking about that, um, that Bay Boys sandwich place, and they're doing really well right now, but they only have, you know, three or four staff members mm. where we have 16 mm. that we're trying to make something happen while we've cut their hours. We're trying to do something, but that's not sustainable for as long as this could potentially go on. Yeah, and that's an important point is that the business itself for us is the the staff. Um, so, yeah, yes, we could furlough everyone, immediately halt uh, payment to staff, and just close because we could ride that out without any added overhead for several months. But... I, that's just, it's obscene to me to expect us to do that to people who have been with us for several years. And there's not a, a job market for them out there right now, uh, especially yeah. people who are, um, like, in kitchens, highly skilled chefs and um, people who have been working in the hospitality in- industry who are hospitality industry professionals um, are very good at that. That's their trade. And right now, those are businesses that aren't hiring. So they're saying, you know, go out and support these places. But a lot of the people that, I mean, especially in this industry, no one has jobs right now. So what are they? They can't go out and support anything. They can't do that. Um, and I don't know. I guess people just that are on salaried income, it is a great help. But I don't know, again, how long even huge companies are going to be able to afford to do that if they're not having any income. Yeah, I I think that, um, you know, this is definitely a problem that that ultimately is going to need to be fixed by the government. Um, I can only hope um, that this time around there's more aid given to uh, small business um, and not just large corporations. Uh, so we'll see how that goes, but, um, um, doesn't be dire. And I think that anybody who, um, doesn't, doesn't see that yet, uh, sadly is going to realize it over the next coming weeks. Do you have any advice for this group, independent restaurateurs and hospitality workers are, are not people who are usually joiners of groups that might represent them um, in these kind of negotiations? Um, Do you have some ideas on how people can contact um, their representatives and get their voices heard? I did see today, for instance, uh, Megan Geralt was pushing out a um, Mm -hmm. petition petition, um, to try to get more chefs aligned together so that they can all you know, make make some suggestions, uh, get their needs met. Do you have any suggestions on how the local industry should go about sort of organizing? I uh, have zero uh, experience in organizing uh, politically. Um, I don't know much about it. I uh, applaud uh, any effort that anybody's making, and I will jump on board with any um, organization that is um, – you know, aggressively taking action. I think it's all great. I'm I'm here for it. I'm uh, I'm sure our whole staff is as well. Uh, but it's not something that we've ever had to deal with like this before. So this is all 
new ground for us. So, um, sadly, I, I couldn't really give anybody any advice in this situation because I've never uh, been through something like this before. Um, a, a restaurant shutdown of a couple of weeks, I've definitely been through before. Um, but if this is looking like a couple of months, then I don't, I'm, you know, I'm not sure that any restaurateur in the, in the United States has seen something like this, regardless of where they're from. Do you know any so, of the restaurant, uh, independent restaurants in the Seattle area? And I have heard that there have been closures there, but have you heard anything more? Um, so I have um, several friends who work in the Seattle area, and I believe at this point they're still able to operate um, with uh, – they just had not to – dine-in models. Well, some of them can. Really? Yeah. So they're just doing uh, basically like 50% of the tables need to be taken up. One of the problems with this is that there's not a consistent um, mandate across the country. And that, of course, has to do with states' rights and the fact that each state and municipality makes their own laws. But in this kind of an instance, that's actually a huge detriment, not a help. Um, if all of a sudden the federal government said every restaurant in the United States needs to go to delivery and curbside uh, only, it would be much easier to lobby about this issue. The problem is, um, you know, the restaurant industry is divided right now because different states, uh, restaurants in different states and different cities are dealing with completely different laws. That means that they can't lobby for the same things because they don't apply to each other. So that makes it far more tricky. And, um, you know, I think that uh, the current administration is more than happy to continue to say that every state gets to ultimately make their own laws because it's an easy way for them not to take responsibility for hurting the economy by saying you need to close. So um, I really, really don't expect more leadership from the top. It, there's been a vacuum of it so far. It's been a mess. So, um I think that starting on a, a city and lo, uh, city and state level is is kind of where I would look, um, but we'll we'll see. Again, I don't have any experience in this uh, area. And can I ask, from the health safety perspective on this, uh, just knowing the fear that surrounds the contagiousness of coronavirus and and cases spreading, what has it been like as a food handling entity uh, to be trying to work in that, even in the carryout capacity? So um, for our restaurant, um, it was a very smooth transition into heightened uh, awareness because we've always been, I'm sure this is, <laughs> it sounds cliched because I'm sure this is something a lot of restaurants say, um, but we've been extremely careful about food safety since we opened. We have uh, very good scores um, from the KC Health Department. And for us, all, all it really did was we were more cognizant of not leaving the kitchen once service began. Mm. Um, so we were also more cognizant of making sure that the dish area was the most focused on area of the whole restaurant. So um, we just put in even stricter controls over how to deal with um, plates coming from the guests. For a carryout model, it actually simplifies all that. If you if people um, if customers aren't in sitting down eating at the restaurant, then the um, 
then the amount of chance of transmission lowers drastically, which is why this mandate was put into place. So for us, having a, a, a skeleton crew working uh, in the same room, getting all of our products delivered to us, never having to deal with, with anybody coming in and sitting and eating and using plates and silverware, um, this business model, uh, one of the bright spots is that it does work for this uh for this kind of a situation because it drastically cuts down on the amount of human interaction that needs to occur for people to get their food. I know that you guys have such a huge day ahead of you trying to get this first day of curbside delivery set up. And thank you for talking to us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Best of luck going forward. Now we want to welcome... Chef Howard Hanna to the conversation, also joining us by phone uh, in this very different set of circumstances. Uh, Chef, welcome. The world has changed quite a lot in just a matter of days here. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty, uh, pretty crazy, pretty scary times. You guys uh, made the decision to, well, the mandate to close the dining room, but what you guys have decided to do is a little bit different. Uh, you're doing kind of a pay it forward method for people to come pick up food. Tell us what you're doing. Well, I was, you know, before before it was mandated, we felt it was the right thing, and um, we were really racking our brains for some way to help our staff and to just do something positive and to do something to like, I don't know, like make it, make it better for knowing that there's people in need already and that there was about to be a whole lot more people that were hurting and that were scared and um, to try to figure out a way to help. So basically we, you know, inspired by Jose Andres and many others um, liked the idea of doing a community kitchen. And um, we kind of launched that with two goals. Number one was to raise money to continue paying our hourly staff. Um, and that's through a GoFundMe plus donations at the door. It's uh, the meals we're serving are pay as you are able. So um, some people are able to, to, you know, open their pocketbook and be generous and, and help our staff. And we really appreciate that. But after that, um, you know, we're really looking to just feed whoever needs it. And knowing that, you know, in closing, we have our entire inventory to work with and we have you know, all of our staff is healthy. We're taking all the precautions we can to to keep ourselves safe and healthy. And it definitely makes sense to not gather in large groups for sure. So we're, we're monitoring that and carefully scheduling and um, controlling that. But it, but at the same time, we don't want to be doing something. And so, um, you know, to get to cook for people right now is really meaningful and, and fulfilling for us. And so we're basically, we started with our what we had on hand um, that we won't be selling now. And we were like, we'll make as many meals as we can out of that and give them all away. And um, in the meantime, hope that people help our staff. And then um, we'll open it up for donations and of food and products like to-go stuff, hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, trash bags, anything like that. Um, And hope to get the word out to a lot of folks so people in need take advantage of this and can come can come enjoy a meal. Um, and the hope is that with the donations, we'd be able to keep it going once the, the rigor inventory is gone and, mm. and we're out of things to cook out of, out of our walk-in. And that's very much been happening. We've gotten incredible amount of support and donations in a really short time. And I'm like 
blown away by how quickly people are coming together and how quickly people are springing into action to do something. It's really inspiring. Um, like we told our management team about this idea um, Monday at 1 o'clock. We told our staff after that manager meeting, it ended around 2 o'clock, um, and we got word to our staff that this was the plan, this is what we're doing, and by 4 o'clock we were serving meals to go um, yeah. for anyone who wanted them, and that was awesome. And then the next day we were flooded with donations. So we're, we're stocked on food right now, and a lot of perishable things from other restaurants and other food service outlets, we got to kind of blow through it. So I'm hoping we can, we have the capacity to cook a lot of meals. So I hope we get to serve a lot of people in the next couple of days and make really sure that none of that food um, goes to waste. And then um, I think down the road, we'll start getting more creative with a lot more, you know, dried goods, you know, beans and rice and canned things and things, stuff like that. But right now we have a ton of fresh food. And, I mean, not a ton. We have a lot of fresh food hmm. we can cook hundreds of meals from from what we have today so we're ready to go did people come eat last night yeah i mean it's it's hard to get the word out so um you know when everybody's social media is completely flooded with you know we're all sharing the same 10 articles over and over and um you know and there's just so much like obviously you know for good reason and good good noise but there's so much noise right now it's hard to like reach people and and frankly you know <laughs> we didn't have time to think this out well we don't have like a clear vision for to me like our immediate community is people who work in restaurants and like we're plugged into them and we can get word to them to hey this is available if you want to if you want to help in whatever way you can but also if you want to come eat you absolutely should this is for you this is for us you know so that that's easy to like hit that audience but obviously there's way more people in in dire need and that already were before this. And so it's hard because of, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, I don't know how to, <laughs> how to, how to do this. You know, this isn't our background and, and we're not set up for it, but we're trying to very quickly get set up for it. And so like today, for example, my sister is a social worker and she knows about an after school program that her organization supports that is kids who, are on free and reduced lunch and they are, this is meant to be an after school program, but they get lunch at school. Well, now school's closed and they're not getting that lunch. Mm -hmm. So today she's swinging by and picking up 50 meals for those kids. And I hope we, you know, (laughs) we just had a like two minute conversation about it yesterday and we're going to make it happen today. But like once we see how that works and that, that it does work, um, I hope to be able to do that every day and to find more schools like that. And, and, you know, that's a like community in need that, you know, if you look at families whose children go to public school and receive free or reduced lunch, that's people who are really feeling this. And, um, and, you know, geographically it might not make sense for them to come to the Rieger. Um, and also they might or might not have internet and Facebook and, ever have heard of the Rieger. And so I want to overcome some of those barriers and just get food to people. Um, so we're trying to figure that out. And <laughs> definitely help is appreciated. And, and Chef, how do you also, uh, another obstacle to all this is, is keeping in social distance and the health for you all, as well as anybody coming to eat. I mean, how, how do you deal with that? What do we do here? Um, I mean, we're trying to really be cognizant of it 
keep having the conversation every day with our staff, but, but really also keep open-minded that we don't know very much and there is going to be new information and absorb that and adapt to it as it, as it appears. Um, but really, I think we're doing the best we can so far. We, you know, we <laughs> sanitize surfaces, we hand wash religiously, all of our hands are dry and cracking from how much hand sanitizer mm. we've been using for the last week. Um, like, a lot of people can relate to that yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then really we're trying to do it with the skeleton crew. We want to have the system in place where any of our staff who's volunteering gets a chance to come and, and help. But before they do, we're asking them a lot of questions about how they've been protecting their health outside of work. And basically each one of us has to decide as a person what your acceptable risk tolerance is. But at the same time, once we get in the room together, your decision affects me now too. So we all are trying to like come to some kind of a consensus that, hey, if somebody went out like four nights in a row, maybe they don't need to be the one to come help us at this, you know, but if somebody else has been quarantined at home, sure, come work a three-hour shift, you know, and wash your hands every 10 minutes or every time you touch anything, you know, or whatever. So um, two things we weren't doing yesterday that we're trying to implement today is um, um, I want to start taking the temperature of all of us when we start. So when we walk in the building, take your temperature and anybody with a fever goes home. Um, but, you know, relying on self-reporting, I know none of us had a fever, in, you know, so far. So, so, you know, but it'll be better if we can take temps. And then um, also starting today, I'm not even sure about this. I think it makes sense, though. But somebody donated some masks yesterday. We didn't have face masks before that. Mm. And somebody donated some late in the day yesterday. And I started thinking about it overnight. And I'm like, we should probably, I don't know if all of us can wear them all day long. And there's some confusing, you know, theories about, oh, people who wear them actually are touching them all the time and adjusting them, and it's actually not safer and things like that, So, or the way they're disposed of or whatever. So I don't even know if that's smart to try for it all day, every day. But I think we – and we need to drink water and we need to taste the food, you know. Um, but I think probably we'll, we'll wear masks while we're boxing up actual meals. So all of it's to go and it'll be, you know, the two people that are actually filling the boxes will probably have masks on moving forward after, after this, or now that we have them. I got to ask a doctor this question for what it's worth. And the doctor told me a mask uh, does not help a healthy person keep from getting sick, but it does help a sick person keep from spreading that sickness to others. Okay. So. And that, that would be the concern is that one of us doesn't have symptoms, but might have been infected mm-hmm. and then, and then is unknowingly spreading it. So, yeah. So I hope wearing a mask would make, make that safer. And like, ultimately, I don't know. I mean, everyone's got to eat, right. And like, however you're getting food from wherever people have touched it, like at every mm. step along the way. And so it's hard to remove all contact <laughs> from that part of our daily life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's impossible. Like, so let me ask you this, uh, Jill and I just talked to Nick and Leslie Gellner from the antler room talking about this carryout model is, uh, really not sustainable and potentially maybe for a couple of weeks, but they don't know what's going to happen if this goes on weeks after that chef, you've been in this business a long time. The rigor has been around for a long time. What do you see six weeks or two months down the road? If the situation is unchanged, 
I'm I'm really scared for all of us. Um, and hey, love to Nick and Leslie. I, I hope they're doing okay. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm worried about all of this. I think that I I agree as a business model. If you're set up to rely on, you know, fine dining prices, a large percentage of your staff being tips, and a large percentage of your profit coming from alcohol sales, it's going to be impossible to to hit your same margins and go keep the doors open for very long with to-go food. Like, that's for sure. I'm positive about that. I think that certain places that have lower price points anyway or are more set up for to-go um, might be in a good position, especially when, you know, everything else closes and really the, the ones that are open start to get a lot of business. I think they have a good chance, and I fully support them, and I hope hope they all make it. I hope they all can make a profit during this if they can, you know. But, um, you know, for example, um, you know, I, I, I shouldn't speak for him, but this is my impression of his thoughts. But, you know, Michael Corbino is one of my good friends, and um, to me it's like obviously the tasting room is closed, but probably the supper club menu doesn't make sense to go for very long. But thank God they have ravenous and they were already launching this thing. That's food that's designed to be to go. Mm. And that's at a price point that makes it quick and easy and efficient, but still makes money for the restaurant. And, um, and yeah, I think they're going to kill it with ravenous. And I hope that that's enough to make up for what they're losing at Corvino, you know, where their business model has a stage and musicians as a major part of the draw, like, and that's gone for sure. Just what what does Kansas City look like in six months if the fine dining restaurants that are local and unique end up not being able to make it? Just, you know, I mean, I I, I think a lot of us have not wanted to think about that, but what does that look like to you? Um, wow, well, I've thought so much about that. And I mean, really, it's, it's, it's like personal and it's like it's it's hard to think about. Um but I also feel conflicted about it because I'm like, absolutely, the things people are saying that this is what makes us special, this is what defines the culture of the place or even the sense of the place. And, and like, when those are gone, if it's not us bouncing back and jumping back in and being able to restart, it's most likely to be things that are more corporate, more national chains, more, you know, and, and way less soul and way less character. And, you know, this isn't a time and place to be talking shit on whatever kind of food anybody likes to eat, you know, like that's fine. If, if you like that stuff, cool. But like, I think it is important for us to have choices and to have local independent places with creativity and, and character and soul and heart. And like, I'm really worried that that is going to go away. Um, but, but two things about that. I'm also like, Right now, like, compared to, like, my staff that may not have rent money or utilities money, like, fuck the fine dining restaurants. Like, we don't need that. We need people to eat. We need people to have homes. Like, that's the priority. That's really, really more important. And I can, like, worry about the state of haute cuisine later, you know? Mm -hmm. But, like, but so part of me feels that way about it. And then... Ultimately, the conclusion I'm coming to is that I'm not going to despair because I know people are showing up for each other and to help each other that they will and we're going to get through this as best we can. And 
all the great things that we're going to be mourning the loss of or that we already are. You know, New York's not the same city it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And that sucks because New York was a beacon for the whole world, not just the U.S., you know. And, like, there's a lot less independent. There's a lot less, like, neighborhoods with real character and, you know, third-generation families growing up in the same spot, you know. And, like, all our cities are changing and all our culture is changing, and we're losing a lot. But at the same time, like, that shit didn't fall out of the sky. Like, people built that, and people will build it again. And, like, maybe... Every restaurant you've ever heard of closes, but 20 years from now, there's going to be new cool stuff that the next people do. And, like, they're going to have heart, and they're going to have soul, and they're going to want to build something important, and they will. And so it's not gone forever. It's just changing, and we'll be all right. That's, I guess, what I think today. Sure. You can probably ask me again in two hours, and I'd say something else. It's just wild to think about while we talk about something that sounds so terrible. Even before that, we have to worry about whether people will survive the coronavirus, too, and the public health. It's just, it's an intense and uncertain time, for sure. It is. If if I can ask a question of Howard um, that is political, because you, on our last podcast, you know, have have been out there um, advocating, you know, minimum wage raise and transportation issues and everything that affects the hospitality industry from Me Too on down to, you know, uh, balance of life and mental health. Um, You've also been on Capitol Hill to talk. Do you have any ideas, suggestions on how the independent restaurant group gets together? You guys are notoriously, n- notoriously independent. So yeah. how do you get together and sort of uh, rally the troops and, and get government to look at a sector that may not be in front of them lobbying? Um, yeah, I mean, I think... It, it, it is really important to draw the distinction between when you talk about the word lobbying that, yeah, the National Restaurant Association is very different from, like, me and Nick and Leslie and Michael and Christina and all the places we buy, you know, pho and tacos and fried rice around town, right? Like, those those people speak for big North national corporate chains, and those have very, very well-funded lobbyists whose interests don't necessarily align with any of mine or my staff's. So... So, yeah, I like to make that distinction. But um, as far as the rest of us, though, um, we uh, we really um, – we are a community. And, like, I I don't – we haven't had time to react to this properly, you know? Like, like but, but we will. Like, we all are faced with the exact same challenge and the exact same concerns for ourselves, for our businesses, for our staff, and for our broader communities. And, like – we're going to work together and figure it out. I'm confident in that, um, you know, and we can't do it without help, but, but we're going to come up with our plan. I'm sure of that. And, you know, one big spark of hope for me was watching the guys in Chicago um, that, uh, you know, it, it, it quickly spread a, a text message between a couple chefs turned to like a major meeting, which might or might not have been smart, <laughs> but um, a ton of local or independent restaurant operators and chefs in Chicago um, got together last Sunday and, uh, mm-hmm. and they basically got their messaging down. They got that, Hey, we're going to close. We're going to, um, we're going to all post this same message, which is calling for, you know, help from the government help from, you know, 
people at large to pressure the government to help help us right now. And uh, I thought that was beautiful to see and probably pretty effective. And, like, you know, we didn't do the exact same thing here, but we'll do something for sure. And um, mm-hmm. as far as, like, policies and, like, broader, like, political stuff and, and societal changes, really, like, that is the reason for hope right now is that, yo, it took the Great Depression to get us the New Deal, right? So maybe it takes coronavirus to get us Medicaid for all and Medicare for all and a homes guarantee and a, a livable wage, you know? Like, this has exposed all of our problems, and now, you know, <laughs> it's shaken. Like, it's it's not, like, burned to the ground, but it's shaken really badly, and so it has to be rebuilt. So let's rebuild it better than it was because it was fucked anyway. That's a very optimistic note, and I... I wish you well. I do. Keep us in. Keep in touch with us. And, and for check, sure. And, and tell let us, us know what you do. And if people want to come see you, it's four to six each night. Is that still the plan going forward? Yeah, the plan. And we had said for two weeks. It sure looks like it's going to be longer, but for sure through the twenty eighth, every night from four to six at the Rieger nineteen twenty four Main Street um, Crossroads Community Kitchen is what we're calling it. Um, and we uh, we really. We're serving good food. We're trying to do stuff that's real cooking and really tastes great. Um, every night, a major component of the meal will be vegan and gluten-free, but not the whole meal. Oh, so wow. definitely, there should be something for everyone, I hope. And um, um, and then uh, I'm very interested in doing more. Um, for people who can't get to us, I'm really interested in doing more. We have the capacity to produce a lot of food, and I don't think we're going to see it all walk out the front door from four to six. Mm. So I need people like my sister's doing. I need somebody to call me and say, if you could have 30 ready at this time, I could take them to this group, and I'll say yes, okay. and we'll do it. So, so, we, we can yeah. put out the call for people to contact you, for do sure. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Call the Rieger number. Call the Rieger. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much, Chef. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate getting the chance to talk about this. Thank you. Now we wanted to bring in uh, Michael Crane and Chris Myers from Crane Brewing. You guys, Michael, you just hit the nail on the head. Everybody is is kind of struggling together through this in the restaurant and beverage industry, right? Yeah, it's it's really uh, sad for so many people uh, that, you know, there are a lot of people that think that say you have a small business and think, well, the bigger guys, they're, they'll probably be fine because they've got, you know, a lot of money, but in reality, the bigger bigger people actually have more overhead and and more expenses. So it's not any easier for a larger business or a smaller one. So we're all actually we're all suffering just as much as each other. And you guys don't necessarily have a restaurant where people come in to sit down to eat, but you do uh, supply beer to a lot of restaurants. What's happened on that end? So the uh, draft sales have pretty much curtailed. Uh, That doesn't look rosy at this point. Uh, Big concern. Well, one hope was that that um, our our cans, our six pack cans, would would sell um, at a greater pace. But even I think liquor stores are are being very cautious about having large numbers of patrons coming into the store. So, you know, it's not like the beer that doesn't get consumed today, well, everybody's going to buy twice as much a couple months from now. 
any and this goes for restaurants too any any food that someone doesn't eat today um in a restaurant they're not going to in two months or whenever hopefully sooner when all of this passes they're not going to go out and eat twice as much food or drink twice as much beer it's gone forever so it's pretty it's gonna, i think it's going to take a long time to recover but i'm uh, sure we if everybody you know things times like this bring out the best in people hopefully it won't bring out the worst in some people but that's a a fear that that i've had can you explain that anyway. michael what what are you fearing yeah well i actually uh just saw that uh just yesterday the van at mid midwest animal rescue was stolen and uh why someone would steal a van I mean, it's not related to the restaurant business but uh why the uh, midwest animal rescue does such a great job and there's so many other rescues around town why would someone steal a van that's used to help so many so many animals and it was stolen and then hours later found burned up so it's like gosh why would someone ever do anything like that but now it's just you know times are I have no idea why someone would do that, but hopefully everybody will sort of come together on this. And when I say everybody, maybe even all over the world, because everybody is affected at this time. So hopefully, you know, the people will take care of each other. And I know there's been a lot of great people reaching out in the restaurant community, doing things to help to help uh, their employees and take care of people. So it's amazing. So you Any guys have an that? interesting, you guys have tried to do an interesting, uh, uh, you know, takeout. Um, tell us what's going on there. What are you guys doing from the brewery? Yeah, we're we're not the only one who are now kind of limited to this option, but um, all we're really able to do is to go sales and to try and make it a little bit easier and be a little bit more conscious doing curbside pickup so people can call and place their order ahead of time. When they get here, we'll even run it out to their car for them. Um, but it's, it, I mean, to kind of Michael alluded to with distribution, uh, we've already had orders canceled, and um, the, the tap room's really the only way we can bring money in, and it's just not the same dynamic of people wanting to come in and sit and enjoy some beers, um, you know, kind of creating this new thing of taking it home and really pressuring people that, we need their help to kind of get through this mess. We've had a lot of great people who have, who've been very generous in buying gift cards, knowing that that's income for us now that that they'll get to enjoy later. Um, it's it's really tough, and and like Michael said, the the smaller the business, smaller the brewery, the more they're going to be impacted. And I, it's it's surreal. I feel like I'm in a dream. I never did I ever imagine something like this could happen to you know our whole city. Yeah, people. Yeah. Uh, People, it's obvious, people go to restaurants and they go to bars and tap rooms not just because of the food and not just because of having beer or other drinks or even coffee shops. People go because it's a social thing and yes. um, people enjoy being out with other people. And I guess it's possible to, you know, a lot of the restaurants have... Uh, are doing the curbside family meals, and you pick them up, and you can go home and have family together. But um, I think that's just going to be a small drop in the bucket. Hopefully, 
for everybody concerned, it's it's enough to keep the lights on and to uh, keep employees. Um, the the scariest thing is nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, no, you know, it's uh, it's it's pretty frightening, and I don't think there's anybody anybody at all that's immune to it, because even if you're in a business that's not directly related, you still your customers um, for any business are 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 hurting right now. So that's going to hurt everybody. So I don't think there's anybody that's not going to be impacted negatively for this. So hopefully uh, mortgage companies and banks will will all work together with people, utility companies. I think this was when I was talking about bringing out the best in people. I think that uh, I think that even the large corporations are, are going to do things to help make sure we can maintain somewhat of a normal lifestyle in the coming months ahead. And I think once it gets cleared up, I think everybody will do well. I have to be optimistic. So, Absolutely. Do you, um, do you think that we might see more bartering? I, I keep thinking mm. that people could be trading uh, beer for food or food for beer or, you know, um, my service for your service um, and just, Maybe we're going to that economy. And I also thought, um, because you guys are in a tap room that's kind of out of the way, you're not like in the crossroads where we, a lot of the people we've been talking to right. have been. You know, teaming up. Can you can you collaborate with a Howard Hanna or um, you know Leslie and Nick at Antler Room, getting beers to them to no. you know distribute distri- no, with their uh, takeout. It's it's difficult because of the the legal. Challenge. Uh, we uh, we we can't just like barter alcohol. Yeah, it's a, so it's a commodity, but it's, especially with someone who's got a liquor license, that stuff is yeah. in control. Yeah. Um, but but I mean, people are gonna do what they gotta do. The the government isn't always crazy about the crazy about the barter system, but um, I think we gotta find some way to help each other out if we don't have the resources otherwise. What do you guys see? Chris, are you yeah, still brewing? Oh yeah, are you still brewing new um, beer? At the at the current moment, we're we're still brewing and 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 um, more so packaging what we've already brewed. We're at that turn where if we don't, you know, get an idea of what's going to happen, if we you know, if we can't get um, what we need for our team through the taproom sales, yeah, we may have to shut down altogether until until things get better. Mm. Have you seen any disruptions in the supply chain yet? Uh, we haven't seen any issues with that yet. So, um, but we just have to be—we've got to be really cautious and plan well. For uh, you know, it's, to me, it's less important what we do now that that um, makes it so we're okay next week. We need to make important decisions that will be okay next year um, and the year after that and the year after that. And I've got a bad feeling that there's a lot of small businesses out there in the service industry, restaurants, bars, that uh, will just will not be able to survive this. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough thing. I know that in thinking about it, there's the demographic 
that is our customer base, a lot of people that are are, are affected by are out of jobs that they can't afford to go out. And I mean, beers, beers, more you know, is a is a luxury item, um, and it's it's uh, by this time it's probably the money people are spending on buying toilet paper and hand sanitizer instead of uh, running to the liquor store to buy a six-pack of the latest and greatest uh, hazy IPA or sour beer. So it's uh, it affects everybody. I think pretty much uh, even people that are not affected today are going to see effects in the long term. But I've got to be optimistic because uh, it's kind of can't really live your life thinking the the uh, the beer glass is half empty. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's got to be better. But but I guess there's a little. Is there a little bit of? And I ask this: Is is it a little more comforting to know that? Well, we're not alone in this struggle. We're all in this together. And I know that uh, some of the amazing things Howard Hanna is doing right now. Yeah. At the Rieger, it just blows me away. But it's also really, really sad seeing uh, places that are just don't have the option to offer to go and pick up um, services, so they're just closing the doors temporarily, hopefully just for a very short period of time. So much, so much remains unknown. Yes. Thank you so much, yeah, you no, guys. Well, thank you. I don't. Yep, we're all in this together. I know it affects uh, it affects your uh, your business too, Jill. So yeah. anyway, a good. It, yeah, I appreciate okay. the good work that you guys do in spreading the word. Thank well, you keep guys. us up to date and yes. make sure uh, that okay. everybody knows what hours can they pick things up at the tap room there. Yep, twelve to you have, seven. You guys have hours. Monday. We do. we do. Okay. We do. We can say it online with Google and Facebook and all that. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, Jill, we just heard from uh, three different companies, everybody talking about it. This is a thing that they are all experiencing so, so deeply while wanting to make sure that their staff, uh, you know, survives financially, whatever this is. Uh, we want to keep talking to people, right? Absolutely. There's so much happening out there. Um, I am social distancing and uh, for the most part doing work over the phone. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm watching what's happening out there. I'm hearing what's happening out there. And just a lot of creative solutions, a lot of frustration, a lot of, uh, you know, people scared, a lot of tears. This, yeah. this is the way we get through it, though, right? Yeah, and, and developments Talking coming one, one, by the moment. One interview at a time. Yeah, right. Exactly. And we'll try to be, our, our future episodes while this is still going on, we'll try to be much closer to release date because things are changing so often. Uh, I cannot believe that Nick and Leslie were in our podcast studio, what, 10 days ago, and we both realized there was no way, it, it was a different world when we sat down with them than it is right now. Absolutely. It's changing. Uh, first, it was changing day by day. Then it was hour by hour. Sometimes yeah. I think we're almost a minute by minute. So, I know it. Um, you know, I hope people stay tuned. I hope they find some uh, solace and just conversation that they can't have with people because they're distancing. And 
We'll all stay in touch, I hope. Yeah. Um, Message us on Instagram, at True Diligence. And I was going to ask people, too, if they do go out and order carry out at one of these places, take a picture and post it and and, uh, put us in the uh, tag us. We want to see. Because in the short term, it sounds like that's the, the quickest way to support. And I know you were supporting yesterday. I saw several of your yeah. pictures. I'm going to be going out tonight and doing a round of three restaurants I work with, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, happy to support. And so we we would love to see what people are eating, what they're doing, um, and what they're thinking. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Be safe. Be safe.